0: Hi, this is Jerry Conway, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Paul Jenkins, JMD Mateus. Rob Rodriguez, Jim okay. Salakrup, Danny Fingeroth. and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle, all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be it 1962, or last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon.
0: The amazing spider jar. The amazing.
1: Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
0: And I'm Mark and the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. How amazing is it? It's so amazing. Alright, well for this episode we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic of the week. Uh, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number 50 through 52 by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr., reading your comments and emails, and getting through our first-ever Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. Woo! I'm excited, Mark. Yeah, I don't even know what that is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. we got a lot to talk about tonight, Mark. Let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man 50 to 52.
0: All right, Dan. Well, this is the, the first installment of this, this long-talked-about series between you and I. Um, and just to, to give our listeners here a little bit of background about what we're about to do here, um, Dan and I have each uh, gone through um, some, some favorite comics, not necessarily uh, the most famous Spider-Man comics, but comics that we feel paint an essential picture of the, of the character. Um, and to kind of mix it up a little bit, um, we've decided that we wanted to take five obvious choices off the table because what we're, trying to, what we're trying to actually achieve here is we want to get input from you, our listeners, in terms of what are the most essential Spider-Man stories. Uh, so off the table are Amazing Fantasy 15, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 30 to 31, the Master Planner saga. You mean 31 uh, to 33? Okay, I'm sorry. I meant that. 31 to 33, the Master Planner saga saga. Um Spider Man number one twenty one to one twenty two, which is Gwen Stacy's death and Green Goblin's death, uh Craven's Last Hunt, and then the the coming home arc, which in addition to being a great essential story, we just talked about it. So I don't know if you need to hear us talk about it again, right, Dan? Yeah, yeah, uh, heaven forbid. <laughs> um so those are off the table. And what remains is are, you know, Dan and I are gonna present ten from each of us, and then upon the conclusion of the series, which will be about, you know a good 20-something episodes out, um, you're going to, on each of our respective websites, vote on your ten the 10 that you believe are essential, and we will tabulate those votes and come up with a definitive list.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about it, Mark. I mean, people always ask us, what are the Spider-Man comics I should read if I'm new to Spider-Man or want to get more of a history of Spider-Man, and hopefully we'll be able to come up with a list that uh, expresses that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So... Uh, this this first um, arc that we're going to talk about this was actually one of my suggestions, Dan. Absolutely, uh,
1: I think I would have suggested it if you hadn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, th- this doesn't really go into the into deep cut territory like some of our other choices might end up doing, but um, you know, figured figured especially with the the recent uh, focus on the street level and the and the criminal underworld uh, through Jerry Conway's spiral, I thought a good. Underworld story would be a, a good place to start. Um, just to just to give you um, some reasons why I think this is an essential comic. Um, well first of all, amazing Spider number fifty. Um, you know, that's the the famous spider cover from John Romita Senior. I mean the cover alone makes iconic. Um, I know that this tells the story of her um, but, you know, if, if, if you've seen that cover, you've probably also seen it in about nine million other places. It gets homaged regularly still. It's going to be homaged in Amazing Spider-Man number 18, I believe, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so anyway, um, but it's not the first Spider-Man quits or Peter quits being Spider-Man story, but it's probably the most famous. Um, and did it a few times uh, during their run. Um, but, but you know, this was... To me, this was really the first time where, like, they, they built an entire issue around this idea. And, you know, Peter, the everyman uh, hero, um, you know, the, it's kind of a key part of his character, the fact that, you know, there are these moments where he just wants to throw in the towel and be a normal person. Um, but, you know, power and responsibility uh, prevents him from doing so. Um, these stories are also... Marks the uh, first appearance of Wilson Fisk, aka the Kingpin. Um, now, Kingpin, you know he's obviously uh, in in our consciousness a lot lately. For those who are who have been watching Daredevil, um, before he was uh, Matt Murdock's nemesis, though he he was introduced in Spider Man, and you know he was actually kind of like one of Spider Man's chief Silver Age foes. I would say. I mean, I'd rank him. Um, in terms of 60s villains, right behind Doc Ock and Green Goblin, in terms of the big ones. He, 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 once he was introduced here, he came up a lot. Um, you know, it was kind of the first time that Marvel decided to make like the guy uh, for the criminal underworld. I mean, they kind of did that a little bit with the Crime Master, but, you know, he got off so quickly that it just never stuck. Um, you know, and, and having the Kingpin kind of keeps this book on a street level focus. Um, which I have always felt is when Spider-Man is at its best. Um, other essential elements of this book, um, you know, because of Peter's quitting as Spider-Man, uh, this really I think kind of starts tying together a lot of the um, teen romance that Ramita started to introduce indirectly. Um, You know, I just felt like that was really very pronounced. Um, all the way through and was like kind of a driving plot point um, after kind of teasing it for, for a number of issues. Um, and you know, it's also obvious from, from this that it, it, the, the coupling is going to be Peter and Gwen. I think that seems to be established from the storyline. Uh, MJ is kind of more of the party girl at this point and it kind of, you know, they kind of roll with that. Um, and this and there's just lastly, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a, in specifically amazing Spider-Man 52. Uh, the the main plot revolves around Peter and and J. Jonah Jameson kind of being tied together, and and, and Spider Man having I shouldn't say Peter Spider Man and Jameson being tied together, and Spidey having to save him. And I think I think this might be the very first time Spidey saved Jonah. Can can, can am I am I off on that, Dan? I think you might be right. Um, and you know that's just in terms of Spider Man's. You know responsibilities and core characteristics I mean first of all, it's a great bookend to you know the beginning of the arc where he quits being spider man um but um in terms of how it resolves i mean I, I to me this is kind of a good demonstration of of how responsibility applies to everyone even though even if they are big putts like Jonah <laughs> <laughs> um so so Dan, with that out of the way, you know do you you want to talk, you know, give some thoughts about these issues or, you know, feel feel free to jump in here.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Mark, I'm right there with you on this. I, you know, it'd be one of my first, you know, one of the first issues I thought of when it comes to labeling something essential, almost to the point that we might have just excluded this one because it seems like such an obvious choice. I mean, I'm looking over my computer that I'm recording on right now and I have my Stanley and John Romita signed copy of this hanging on my wall. Um, uh, well, a high res scan of it because it's stored safely away in a safe somewhere that you'll never find. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when it came down to it, and I went to meet Stanley and eventually John Romita Sr., you know, this is the issue that I wanted them to sign because I just love this issue and I love this cover. I mean, on the cover alone, it could get, I think, into our essentials list. Um, yeah. But yeah, this issue, you know, first of all, I think it's probably the first uh, John Romita and Stan Lee comic that I ever read. Um, so, you know, I, I read it in a, there was a collection of the best of Spider-Man that uh, I think it was like number three uh, that I picked up, you know, right when I was starting to collect Spider-Man comics and... This was the second issue included in it after... Or the third issue included in it after Amazing Spider-Man 33 and Amazing Fantasy 15. So this is the first time I was introduced to uh, Ramita's uh, art. And there is no overlooking how wonderful his art in this book is. Um, It's just every panel is so iconic. I mean, not to mention the iconic panel... Of uh, Peter throwing his costume in the garbage, um, yeah, which is almost as iconic as the cover. You know, like how often yeah, do you get that. Yeah, okay.
0: and for those for those playing the home game, you know, if you if you haven't figured put two and two together, Raimi's Spider Man two borrows heavily from this art.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like oftentimes I wonder if it's word for word.
0: Into yeah, I senses. mean, there there are definitely some pieces. I mean, you know, we you and I have talked about that one scene where, like, you know, someone's getting beat up, and Peter, you know, Tobey Maguire kind of walks away from it, and that, that was not in this comic. No, um, that's
1: the weakest scene in that movie, and the uh, one foul note I think that movie hits.
0: Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, this, this story is so famous that, you know, like, it, it, it you know, basically was the source material for, the, for probably the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Um, so that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, this book has got it all. It's classic Peter Parker, right? It's like the Peter Parker I love to read. His aunt is sick. His grades are down. Jameson puts out money for his capture and he gets invited to a party by Gwen and has to turn her down, you know, like it's everything that gets dumped on this character over and over again, you know, but like,
0: yeah, but it's different in that, like, you know, I, I, I think, you know, and, and I know like. Some Spider-Man purists would vehemently disagree with me, but I, I prefer I prefer this Peter to Dicko Peter, um, not just visually, but just also thematically. Because you know, I feel like I feel like as a person who you know is now I'm um, now in my 30s, I, I've 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 lived through my you know the tough high school years and and my college years and 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 can a- and really identify with this character um, because you know it's just. It's like I feel like in a lot of ways like Peter at this point in his life in this story, like he, he's finally become like unshackled from being an outcast. It's like he, he he's getting to start that life new. You know, like he's around new people. You know, Flash Thompson is still around. And yeah, you know, they Flash is going to the military. So let's throw a party for him. But like he's not he's not Flash Thompson big man on campus anymore. You know what I mean? It's this like it's, everyone is just seems like it's equal. Peter is using that as an opportunity to try and have some kind of normal existence and being Spider-Man just keeps getting in the way. And it's like, you know, he's, he's finally, he's finally presented with a real opportunity to find happiness, uh, socially. And he can't because of Spider-Man.
1: Right. Peter Parker is not the problem anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that is, that is what makes this, I quit being Spider-Man story. So, so different. You know, because, like, there's a part of me that, you know, you want him to be Spider-Man and do the responsible thing. But, like, you really understand this time because you're just kind of like, yeah, man, like, you should just go and hang out with Gwen and, and Harry and MJ and have fun and, and, and be normal because you deserve that, you know, because your, your life has been hard to this point. um, But, obviously, you can't. Um, it's It's hard to
1: talk about this book, you know. And have you and I talking about this without including like Stan Lee on this conversation, because yes. his writing is all over this thing. I mean, like Ramita's like images are so, like you know, we talked with Ron friends about this, but using uh, iconography or iconography. Gosh, why did I say that so weird? Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, to kind of convey a message very quickly and, and, and clearly, like a lot of this reads like like a montage in many ways. Like, there's just quick little scenes that might be one panel, but uh, the 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 artwork is so varied and so specific um, that it's you know you could, just like Amazing Fantasy 15, where you could tell his whole origin story in 11 pages. Um, but what really supports this is Stanley's humorous dialogue.
0: Yeah, this is this is, you know, some people might say this is like a little over melodramatic and overwritten, but like to me, this is probably Stan's strongest issue as a writer.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, it, it's it's powerful, but it's also hilarious uh, throughout. Yeah, uh, and, and every little character gets like an interesting moment. Like there's the the reporters who are talking about Spider Man leaving. You know. uh uh, the game, you know, and uh, and they all kind of get these funny little quips in. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my favorite moment that made me laugh out loud when I was reading it recently is uh, for this: is the kid that brings in the Spider-Man costume to Jonah, and Jonah's like, "Here's your reward, a free bugle." And yeah. the kid's like, it, "That's a reward."
0: What about Jonah's face when he has the costume?
1: Oh, it's so great!
0: Like, I mean, I, I know we're talking about Stan's writing here, but like, I mean. That panel from Ramita is just, like, so much expression in just one little box, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, these three like, issues like that are... That
0: satisfaction of, on his face is just priceless.
1: <laughs> these three issues are, like, the way I love Jonah. Um, because you get the sense, especially when he gets kidnapped later on in the story, uh, you know, he stands up for, you know, being a crusader. Like, he's going to... You know he'll stick by his hatred of Spider-Man, but he isn't like a totally bad newsman.
0: Uh, no, and, and and I feel like other creators have kind of worked with that because of I think stories like this. You know, like he he doesn't compromise who he is. I mean that's Jonah. You know, like he's he's uncompromising. You know, like and yeah, it leads to pigheadishness, like his attacks on Spider-Man. But I think. I think to be a true, and you know, speaking as someone who was a newsman, I don't think you can compromise.
1: Yeah, you know? I, absolutely.
0: I um, love, I
1: love Jonah like in these books by Stan Lee, like because Joni, <laughs> jo- Joni, what am I talking about? Jonah, I'm, I'm getting all like motor, blows, mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um No, but Jonah is the first person that will tell you how nice he is. Over and over again. He's like, yeah, I'm a nice guy. Like, you know, the first rule of being a nice or cool person is to not assert how nice and cool you are.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um, now, of course, the, you know, the other big famous part about this comic is is like the, the end sequence. Uh, but For the record, when I say this comic right now, I'm still talking about 50. Um, which is, you know... Peter kind of walking by a rooftop where, you know, a kindly old – it's a security guard, right? Yeah. Is getting hassled by some thugs. Here's another question I've always had. Am I to assume that these thugs are with Kingpin?
1: That was my assumption always.
0: That's always kind of felt like because I feel – you know, and and then, you know, when Ultimate does it with Learning Curve years later, I always – you know, like it was kind of like how like Kingpin kind of like – his emergence in the underworld kind of shaped Peter into being a, even a more responsible Spider-Man. So I always kind of felt like, even if the text doesn't say it point blank, my reading has always been that these thugs hassling the security guard were per kingpin, and that's you know why it, his appearance was even more important in this story because it kind of like brings Spider-Man back to the forefront. Um, well,
1: speaking of Kingpin, like one of the things I like about this issue that I think you don't get with a lot of, of villains in comics or even in Spider-Man comics is that you feel the, the presence of this character throughout the city and its effects on the city. There's a lot of sequences of his goons like really wreaking havoc on New York.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, Peter is indifferent to the chaos, which is a little disturbing and unsettling. Um, but you know, what kind of brings him back into it is with this old man, um, on the rooftop looks, you know, reminds him of uncle Ben, which, you know, maybe that's a little hokey, a little convenient, but quite frankly, works perfectly for me because, you know, uncle Ben is, you know, uncle Ben's death is the seminal moment in the life of Spider-Man. I know that Mark Webb's amazing Spider-Man completely glosses over that, but you know, we don't. Or at least i don't
1: <laughs> Whoa, what are, what do you uh what do you implying? No,
0: I just mean you you and I don't Dan right uh, all right uh you know, that's why we end with our uncle Ben moment at the end of every show um yeah and I mean like it's just it's just a way to bring bring it all back home. I mean this is essential you know to to, to not the not essential for our series, but this is essential to peter and and i I think having that reminder is 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 a good little piece of, of of writing from Stan there.
1: Uh, and after that, we get this wonderful scene where Peter sneaks back into Jonah's office to steal back his costume. And I've always loved this scene where he kicks his feet up on Jonah's desk and flips Jonah's tie just to <laughs> kind of mock it. And this, to me, is like the perfect Spider-Man humor. You know, it's not like that he's a motor mouth or anything like that. He's just, like, overly nice and kind of flippant to his villains. Uh, and yeah. his attitude towards Jonah here is, is just hysterical.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's borderline cocky, but not exactly. It's a fine line.
1: It's like, hey, we're best buddies, and I'm going to treat you like that, even though you hate me. Like, yeah. knowing that that will just get under your skin to no yeah. end.
0: Yeah. yeah, hilarious. The, no, it's 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 another wonderful moment. And then of course there's, I'm back. Don't right? you
1: wish that was a full page spread?
0: Yeah, I'd give it two pages.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Vertical spread. Um, of course, my i am back is Tobey Maguire. Just just that's my imitation. <laughs> uh, um. One
1: thing I will say about this comic, and um, I wrote that piece a while back for the Village Voice about the things the movies have never gotten right about Spider-Man, yeah. and uh, I put in there that, like, you know, there's, you know, they have never done the love triangle. Like Spider-Man is Archie, but with webs. Yeah, and I got a lot of negative feedback to that. People saying that I invented it's like a fan invention that there was a love triangle and that. There was never, like, anything going on between the three of them. And I want to say read this issue and then argue that point to me um, because there's clearly a love triangle in not only this issue but the following two issues. Definitely. The, MJ and Gwen are teasing each other constantly. Peter's trying to decide who he likes better. There's definitely a love triangle going on here. yeah. And that's reinforced by the letters column in this issue, which I love going back and reading the letters columns. Um, and like every other email is about MJ or Gwen, like who he should end up with. Um, I don't think fans are creating that on their own. Um, <laughs> I also thought it was funny. There's a letter in issue 50 that knocks John Romita's art as having, like, less mystery than uh, Dicko's and kind of calls Stan Lee out for um, only, printing pro- only printing positive letters and for not mentioning Dicko after he left the book. And uh, Stan kind of avoids addressing that fact in his response. He's like, oh, uh, you know, when people leave the book, we don't really like to bring them up again because we don't want to speak for them. And it's like, all right, Stan. Like nice, well, nice try,
0: yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Dicko. Um, so let's let's move into 51. Um, yeah. you know, we, uh, just so I mean, we obviously see more of the Kingpin here. Is um, uh, what always kind of struck me though, especially as someone who read a lot of Kingpin stuff, like once he kind of transitioned over to Daredevil, is I mean, as, as great of a villain as he is, and and you know, some of the core characteristics that would define him are on display here. Um, he's also kind of a corny Bond villain, right? <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I mean, like he's even got a flower that shoots gas out of it.
0: I mean, the laser cane. Yeah, oh, laser, cane. A laser cane. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, like who throws a shoe? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who? Who's um,
1: whose cane shoots a laser?
0: Right. I mean, you know. I mean, even just. I mean, not to jump ahead, but even the whole plot to kill Spider-Man and Jonah in 52, it's like, we're going to lock him in a room, and then we're going to fill it with water, and then we're going to wait. <laughs> and then we're going to wait an extra 30 seconds to be sure, and then we're going to, like, let all the water out <laughs> and dispose of the bodies, because, yeah, right. you know. And I, you know, I, I I, said to myself, why doesn't he just shoot him with the laser cane when they're tied up? <laughs>
1: Sharks with freaking laser beams, that's why. Exactly, I mean... But I will say that, um, you know, Kingpin kind of goes from this goofy character, this kind of sneering mob boss, to a genuine threat in this issue when we discover, like, you know, that he's not just a fat guy in a suit, that he's, like, all muscle. And the way Ramita draws this, like, it makes him pretty terrifying, I will say.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and I think it's important because it... it, it... You know, he's not just a figurehead. I mean this is an active villain. You know, like this is and and, you know, even with all his contraptions, I mean this is a villain that can hold his own in a book that, you know, it's an action heavy book, it always has been. Um and, and you know like you know, he's not he's less sumo god that he kinda of becomes under Frank Miller. So you know, I think that Frank Miller has Japanese influence. Uh <laughs> yeah. But, um um, no, I, I agree. I, 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 like um, how he's portrayed. Um, I do, I do question Kingpin's audacity though, because like, what I you feel, mean? you know, the fact that the fact that he brings in Jameson to kill him,
1: it is, it does, it does go from like, we're going to freak him out to let's just get rid of him like pretty rapidly.
0: I mean, you know, I know that, that Jameson is a, a thorn in this, but, like, you know, like, future iterations of Kingpin, he would be more calculating than that. Like, it's it's kind of like, I mean, you know, you you, you see this in in crime shows like The Sopranos or, you know, The Wire. I know you never seen The Wire. I don't know. Have you seen Sopranos, Dan?
1: I have not watched either. I've never had HBO in my life.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, That's putting that change. Okay. Well, I mean— long story short, it's, you know, these, these these criminal bosses, I mean, it's like, you know, as violent and miserable as they are, there's always this element of, like, don't go after cops, don't go after public figures, you know what I mean? Like, keep it clean. You know, you don't want to attract attention. Um, you know, like, you want to do your dealings, because the object is to make money and to have power. It's not to kill. You know, that's it um that's always what the end game for the character is, and kingpin's kind of been written both ways like you know there's 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 this version and more bigger extreme I don't know if you've ever read any like the punisher max stuff like he's in that and he's just like killing everybody and you're just kind of like all right this is crazy yeah um uh, <laughs> but um but then there was, like, kind of this in-between period where, you know, like, you know, during Frank Miller, when, you know, the most famous part, where, you know, like, he he sends a message to my favorite human being in the world, Ben Urich, by, you know, Ben is trying to chase down a story that's going to screw with King King's political ambitions. And he sends out Electra to murder Ben's informant while they're sitting in a movie theater together. So, you know, he doesn't. He's sending the message to Ben. You know what I mean? Without yeah, killing right. him. You know, it's just like like all you know, Ben is like talking to this informant and then all of a sudden a sigh like shudes through his chest via uh, Elektra. <laughs> 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 so um you know, it's like it's, it's there's like I said, there's more calculated and diabolical cunning to him, whereas I feel like kind of like just being like, Bring him, bring him Jameson and I mean, that just seems a little extreme to me
1: Yeah, it's a bit extreme Although I will say, one of the things that uh, I like about all the old Spidey battles Is, like, how much they kind of all just devolved into wrestling matches Where he's, like, taking on a large number of guys With, like, not very gracefully Like, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with how Ramita draws Spider-Man It's not like a lithe Spider-Man He's kind of this muscular, like, hunk, you know? And yeah. so so when he uh when he like fights him, uh like or, or his henchmen, it's just really just a lot of limbs getting inter- in, like tangled with each other. And I always thought those were funny and fun to read. You almost expect like a dust cloud to appear and just fists to be coming out of it.
0: Right. Yeah, and Spider Man standing next, Spider-Man standing next to the dust cloud while yeah. they <laughs> <laughs> Bugs Bunny ish. Yeah. Um no, yeah, I, I, I no doubt. Um, but like I said, these are very action-heavy books with rubita I mean, you know, like it def, I I, I think, because you know, we had some bigger spreads and bigger panels. I mean, you know, like it allowed like more group action, and that sounds funny, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, I think you found another advertisement that you liked.
1: Okay, well, I will tell you, Mark. My favorite thing, and this is probably not the first time that this has appeared in a Spider-Man comic at this point. Uh-huh. I've yet to determine that, but this is my favorite ad of all of Spider-Man comics. It's this thing called the Darling Pet Monkey, and I'll include a picture of it. Um, you know, for for the uh, for the listeners at home, if you've never seen this, but flipping through my copy of this book, um, it's the Darling Pet Monkey, and like this is what 1965. Yeah. Or nineteen sixty six, something like that. And this is what the ad reads. It says, quote unquote, This squirrel monkey makes an adorable pet and companion, almost human with its warm eyes. Your family will grow to love it. These young monkeys grow about twelve inches high, eats the same food as you, even likes lollipops. <laughs> Simple to care for and train, live delivery guaranteed, only eighteen ninety-five. And uh, I did the math on that using uh, you know, a calculator and inflation techniques, and that's about $133 today. So for $133, you could get a squirrel monkey sent to you in the mail. Um, Mark, what do you think about this?
0: I think I wanted a squirrel monkey for $133.
1: <laughs> I just love the image of it. It's his hand holding this monkey, and – uh, like the idea that it, you, like people are getting this thing, and the, and the only instructions that they're given are, it eats human food, and it likes lollipops.
0: I just want to say, for full disclosure, I for the purposes of this review, I was rereading these on the Marvel Unlimited app, so I have access to none of this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Have you so, have you never seen this before? Um, I'm sure I have because I have opened the original comic when I got it, but. Probably missed it. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Uh, I don't know. I've I've always thought that this is the best ad in all these books. I, I just think they're hilarious. Like the fact that they have to do, like guarantee live delivery, like tells a really sad story. On the other end of that, there you go. But uh, yeah. So yes, if if you haven't read these, like look up, like find these somehow and look at the ads because they're hysterical and sad and terrible.
0: Anyway. Anyway, you want to talk um, about issue fifty-two? Yeah, we could we can touch on a few more things here. Um, I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about the Spider-Man Jonah stuff being together. I mean, it's just, it's a great dynamic. I love it. I I just love that. You know, Spider-Man saves him, and he's still a jerk to him. I mean, I think that's kind of a trope that will continue um, for the duration of their careers. So important that we get that in the way. Um, we see we get we get a. a I don't know if you would call it an important death, but a death in this issue.
1: Yeah. Frederick Frederick Foswell. Also the original known as big
0: patch. man. Yeah. Oh yeah. He is patch. <laughs> patch <laughs> is big such man. a goofy patch.
1: creation.
0: Yeah. That was, was that the crime master arc?
1: Yes. It was the crime master arc.
0: Oh my God. Yes. Patch.
1: He shows up in issue 50 for a brief, uh, a brief second. Uh for those of you at home who don't know um Patch is this mask that Fr- Frederick Foswell who formerly the uh the um big man the big man uh he reforms and Jonah gives him a chance to work for him like a second chance but he still wants to be involved in the uh like I guess the crime scene in or the mob scene in New York, so he adopts his persona of patch, which you think maybe he would, like, just put a patch over his eye, but no, he has a mask of another man's face with a patch? It's like Mission Impossible 2 level of goofiness. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: I mean, like, are these guys not seeing that there's a man with, like, a fake face, like,
0: in their midst? It's that good. It's that good. It's a
1: really good mask. Uh, Um,
0: yeah. And, and it looks like there's another interesting letter in this issue.
1: Yeah. I thought this was funny given our, like, how much we're not really enjoying, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man proper series now. This is a letter that was printed in, um, in Amazing Spider-Man 52. It says, uh... What has happened to the real Spider-Man? Who is this imposter who claims to be Peter Parker, the alter ego of the well-known web-slinger? The Spider-Man that I remember seems to have disappeared from the face of the Earth and has been replaced by a completely different character who acts more like an agent of Brand Eck. Than a honest to goodness Marvel hero. In the space of almost one year, the team of Stanley and John Romita has changed both the appearance and the personality of Peter Parker to the point where he practically is beyond recognition. Um, and uh, I thought that was interesting because I think this is true. Actually, a true complaint um, that, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, is that his personality, like the minute that Romita joined the team. Went from kind of the dark and, like, sullen Peter to, like, the happy everybody-likes-him-Peter of the John Romita uh, run.
0: And, no, it's definitely legitimate. I mean, I I wouldn't complain because I like this version better. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think it's what's more important is Stan's response to him, though, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, when Stan responds, he asks for more feedback Uh, like, you know, do you guys like this change? Do you not like this change? And it really kind of puts up a mirror to the books that we're getting now, where the editor just says, well, stop reading it if you don't like it. And it's like, you know what, I like the Stan Lee that was like, at least, seemed like he was receiving feedback and criticism, and he tried to sell you a book. Yeah, and I guess it seems kind of weird for me, a consumer, to be like, please sell to me, Marvel, but You know, that's the
0: appeal to this. Although, to be devil's advocate, Dan, if I may, I mean, you know, like these letters were probably the only source of feedback for Marvel that they got, you know, like if this could you imagine what would happen if, you know, this Dicko Romita switchover happened in the age of like Twitter and blogs and podcasts and everything like that, you know, like, you know, Stan would be. Getting like inundated with negativity and criticism from people like "Where's my Peter?" You know what? What happened to my Peter Parker? Um, that, that, that maybe the response would be less welcoming. You don't know that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, you're right. It,
1: no, it is. That is a very good point. Yeah, context is important.
0: Um, you know, like you know, we talked about in our last episode that you know maybe maybe we beat up Nick Lowe too much, and and, and maybe yeah. that's true. And I'm sure someone like Nick is aware of that. Maybe not of us specifically. The and, and you know, like it list the response. I I still think it's a poorly conceived response from a PR perspective for people elsewhere. Um, because you know, there's going to come a point where it's going to become time to pay the fiber, and you know, you can't because then you have nobody, you know, yeah. and, and um, I, you know, I, I think, I think. Stand relations between, you know, with comic creators and comic editors is, is infinitely more difficult today than it was. You know?
1: Yeah. I, I don't think it has to be though.
0: No, but it doesn't have to be, but there are this, there are tools that have made it. Harder.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And I think, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, people are still figuring out how to navigate those tools. Yeah. Uh, um, and whereas some people figured it out, someone like Dan Slott has not figured out how to navigate this point.
1: Mark, I think unquestionably we both agree that this is an essential comic.
0: Yeah, it's just up to the readers to vote, I guess, but you, we'll get to that soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed this and, um, now let's talk about your comments and emails.
0: everybody comments and emails time. So of course, uh, if you want to leave us a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, you can start by searching for amazing spider talk or just Spider-Man. Uh, and while you're there, leave a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, do all these things. Cause, cause we, we want you to do that. Build an audience, right? Am I wrong, Dan?
1: Absolutely, and um, <laughs> of course you can also tweet at us and mark it as okay to print, and we'll know that you're want uh, you're marking it to be on the show. Um, and again, as another reminder, don't forget that I am giving away a copy of Amazing Spider-Man number seventy-two. If you leave us a comment on iTunes. So that competition will be ending uh, in about a week or two. So you have a little bit of time left to get your comments in if you want to be entered into the competition. Um, so let's get to our comments, Mark.
0: Uh, this is from Rybot616. Probably, like you know, the best Spider Man podcast out there, you know? Are they making fun of me? That's, I know I say. They're making
1: fun of me, Mark.
0: Okay. I think
1: they're maybe, maybe making fun of both of us because we both say, you know, and like a lot.
0: Well, you know what? You know, (laughs) (laughs) fortunately, Rybot gives us five stars. Otherwise, I I would, uh, you know, just stop reading here.
1: No, thank Uh, you, Rybot. I mean, but I'll tell you what. I I don't know about you, Mark, but I have incredibly neurotic about my uh, likes and you knows because I know I do it and it bothers me a lot.
0: um, I know I do it and it annoys me, which is why I don't always listen to the show on the back. Hence, I didn't catch the 10 minutes of fumbling in our last episode. <laughs> um, but I don't get neurotic about it. I just ignore it. I'm passive aggressive about my, my foibles. <laughs> um, but anyway, Rybot writes, if you are searching for a good quality Spider-Man podcast and quit reading this review and download this one already, Mark and Dan are very knowledgeable and have an obvious love for the character. The show is very well produced with pictures and web links added in throughout the show for a more enjoyable listening experience. It's also structured very well. And it isn't just two dudes who press record and decide to talk about Spider-Man comics. I look forward to each new episode and I'm excited the podcast will come out weekly now. Keep up the good work, Mark and Dan. Uncle Ben approved.
1: Yeah, I, I hope you guys are enjoying that we've gone weekly. Uh... You know, once we kind of get this under more regular schedule, it should be like, you know, more regular and what day you can expect it. But yeah, thank you, Rybot, for that review. This next one comes from Seth, friend of the show. I actually went on Seth's Retro and Modern podcast a couple weeks back to do an interview about our our show here. So you can check that out on his podcasting feed for Retro and Modern. Um, But he uh, wrote us a review the best of the best, five out of five stars. One of the most well-crafted and entertaining podcasts I listen to. By far the best Spider-Man podcast out there. These guys really know what they're talking about and give you a very fair and balanced review of the latest issues of Spider-Man and fill you in on the latest Spider-News. Well, thank you, Seth.
0: Thanks, Seth.
1: Um, Our next one comes from – you know what? I'm not even going to try to pronounce this because it's just like someone fell asleep on the keyboard. Uh, Mark, do you want to give this a shot?
0: It says loving it. Uh, four stars. Ooh. Yeah. But that
1: name, can you, can you, can you go
0: with that oh. name? Oh, it's, <laughs>
1: you nailed it. You nailed it.
0: <laughs> Do you want me to continue reading yeah, now? Sure. Or love the show a little long sometimes, but still good. Well, hopefully the, the weekly format will maybe shorten our podcast. Although this one's already running long. <laughs> <laughs> no promises people. Yes.
1: Uh, our, uh, our next one comes from John Q billiard. Uh, I wonder if he, he and his family are of, of the the billiards uh, <laughs> uh, uh, fortune. We invented the game. <laughs> <laughs> they invented the game. Yes, uh, amazing, spectacular, superior podcast. Five out of five. And for another adjective, he says excellent podcast. I look forward to listening every week, and I'm looking forward to your reviews on the classics. Keep up the good work. Well, tune in next week, and you'll get some of that. So, thank you, John. Woo! That was a lot of
0: reviews. Yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you bribe people with comics, Dan.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's true.
0: All right, those are some good comments, Dan. Well, now let's deal with some emails. Of course, you can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. So our first email is from John Gibson. Uh, John writes in uh, talking about uh, the conversation you and I, Dan, had a few weeks back regarding having a non-white Peter Parker. Uh, in the movies, you know, basically, Dan, our argument was that um, there's nothing about Peter's character that makes him intrinsically white, especially when compared to someone like Luke Cage or the uh, Black Panther, or characters who, you know, for uh, story reasons need to kind of maintain uh, their their racial identity uh, from the original context. So, John uh, turns the thing around on us and asks us about characters who are intrinsically white and who should maintain that racial identity uh, in a movie. Dan, do you have any ideas on that?
1: Well, I think there's a couple that jump out. That um and uh you know and I think Mark you and I both agree on this one as we talked about it before is that Captain America and maybe not even Cap- not even the Captain America but Steve Rogers the character is an intrinsically white character and and would need to be portrayed that way in the movies for a number of reasons um, and you know I I, could, I can hear some people speaking up now that there there was that one story where um. There was the uh, the super soldier that was tested on before Steve Rogers that was a black man um, that it didn't right. work out. Have you read the story, Mark?
0: I don't know if I've read this one specifically. I mean, they've done this on a couple of storylines where they've had, like, other super soldiers. Um, I don't remember this one, though.
1: But, yeah, the argument being that, like, Steve Rogers is a, is a man displaced, you know, in, to- in time and – You know, in the 30s, you know, when when the character was created or when when the character was portrayed, like, he was America's projection of itself um, to the world, right? America's representative. And along with that comes all the steeped, like, you know, um, almost like race identification of the country, racism included, um, that would merit uh, uh, it being a white character exclusively.
0: Yeah, so I
1: think think that makes sense. Like Steve Rogers has to be a white guy.
0: I agree. Here's here's maybe a little more offbeat uh, choice: Matt Murdock, Daredevil. All
1: right, I I I could uh, I could see that. You want to explain why?
0: Yeah, I mean because I mean a, a core part of Matt's identity is his you know he's this Irish Catholic kid. You know it's kind of like. You know, like his mother becomes a nun. Um, you know, his father is like this kind of you know this this prize fighter. Um, now, now, obviously, you can have black nuns and black prize fighters, but I mean, I, I, th- I think I think the unavoidable thing is like this uh, this Irish Catholic immigrant idea. Um, you know, yes, you can have black Irish, but not not really. <laughs> I mean, you can. But it's it's more I mean, indicative, in the era so. that it
1: was created. I mean, I guess that's a bad argument because you know, but yeah, I mean, pre- Irish Catholics are almost predominantly white.
0: Yeah, um, and and that's a part of his personality. It's 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 you know it it it, it does define the character. Um, so I would say Matt Doctor Daredevil.
1: All right, cool. I, I'm sure there are more, but right now those are the two I think that we've settled on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, just saying, I don't think that Peter's race is a determining factor in the creation or like character itself. Uh, and I guess for these two guys, it, it is. Yeah. As well as like Luke Cage.
0: Um, <laughs> give me my money, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so our next uh, email comes – or it's actually not an email. It's from Twitter, from Scott McElroy. He uh, asks us – he says, I was a longtime collector of Spider-Man memorabilia. I'm always curious about what other Spider-fans have in their collections. What are your most uh, prized Spidey memorabilias if we have one? Mark, do you
0: have any Spidey memorabilia? You know, Dan, I mean outside of comics – not really. Um, I mean, I have my, my Secret War action figures, which include my Black Spider-Man figure, which is kind of more of a childhood novelty that I, I cherish. Um, you know, I have some action figures, but not a lot of memorabilia. You?
1: Yeah, I don't really have much either. I mean, I've gotten some kind of like free posters and things and from the store, but most of my stuff outside of comics is just like commissioned artwork or – artwork I've acquired through the process of doing this show or, um, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, I, I don't really like, (laughs) I know people have like shrines and stuff towards characters or they put, they have like shelf porn. Um, but yeah, it's not really something that I, that I do much of. I, I I don't know. I, I, as a kid, I had a lot of toys, but not really anymore. And I, I think my girlfriend would probably murder me if I Covered the house in Spider-Man dolls. Um, But, you know, some people love that stuff and more power to them. Uh, It's just not something I've ever really – I've invested a lot of money into the comics. I know you have too, and that's enough for me.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: But an interesting question. Yeah, we'd love – if you guys have any collections and stuff, feel free to send us pictures. We'd love to you know, include them in the show Um, because I think it's pretty cool. It's just not something that I ever do.
0: All right. Well, why don't we get into our brand new feature, Dan?
1: Absolutely. Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews.
0: Listen up, you jerks. This is Flash Thompson here, president of the Spider-Man Fan Club. Unless you're a loser like Puny Parker here. You know that Amazing Spider-Talk is the best Spider-Man podcast on the internet. But they never went about reviewing all the B-books. So that's why your old pal Flash is going to take care of business. And don't worry about us droning on and on like Parker looking at a microscope. We're gonna limit each of these reviews to 60 seconds.
1: Wow, Flash. I didn't know you were from Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, well, you know, Brooklyn Queens, it's it's kind of similar, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so we we just we just had Flash Thompson on the show. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. Uh,
0: <laughs> and, and 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 as far as I'm concerned, he did not have a drink before coming on.
1: He <laughs> sounded like he might have been a little sloshed. well uh, yeah so like as flash said uh we're going to be talking about all the b books that you guys requested us talk about but we're going to give each of the our reviews 60 seconds to get through them so uh mark we're going to get our timers ready
0: oh boy we're official
1: and i'm going to stop you if you if you go over 60 seconds
0: oh that's the point i will stop you because i know like you know (laughs)
1: so what we're gonna do is we're gonna cover all of the newest uh issues of all the b titles that we follow and go over them so mark our first one is spider woman number five so i'm gonna set the clock at a minute and uh and go mark
0: all right. Well, Spider-Woman 5 is a great reboot of the character, uh, as we talked about with Dennis Hopeless on our show very recently. Um, where was this vibe when this series was first launched instead of having this this groaning Spider-Verse thing for four issues? Um, the street-level approach lets Hopeless' script shine. Also, you know me, I love me some Ben Yurick. Javier Rodriguez's soft tones and coloring are, are the perfect additions for this book. It's like a neo-noir daredevil with infinitely more humor. Love this book. It is fan club certified.
1: All right, Mark, coming in at 30 seconds there.
0: Well, you know, I don't, you don't have to take a minute, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can go in three, two, one.
1: All right, to know how we feel about this, just listen to our previous show, and you'll know that we think this is a great issue. If you haven't read Spider-Woman yet uh, or dropped the book during Spider-Verse, I urge you to jump on here. I mean, it's a great jumping-on point in the f- in, you know, first place, but this has quickly become one of my favorite books I'm reading, and it's not necessarily because of the hook, though I do love the Ben Urich storyline. But I really like this book because of the writing and the art, are so full of character that I want to return to this week after week. It reminds me of Jerry Conway or Roger Stern's approach to writing Spider-Man, which is a high praise. And I can't wait to see if the plotting of the story can live up to the voices given to these characters. I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified.
0: 46.3 seconds, Dan.
1: Boom. All right. Let's move on to Silk number two.
0: Okay. Silk two. Um, Dan, for me, the flaws of this series are starting to come through. I mean, after a really promising beginning, uh, Silk is still infinitely more interesting than she was when Dan, you know, when Dan Slott was writing. Uh, but I think because of her poor introduction, I'm just having a hard time buying into the stakes of this series. I mean, this is basically a missing parents book. Uh it's not enough for me. We've seen this storyline on other comics and TV. It's an agents of shield for like the first season. Um also uh, Robbie Thompson's voice for Silk is just a little bit too twee for me. A little too trying to get that catchphrase over. Not feeling it. Basically this is like the current back girl that DC's putting out but without the character with history and established gravitas like Barbara Gordon. This is Puny Parker for me.
1: All right, great Mark. Um Give me the countdown
0: here. All right. Three, two, one. Well,
1: I agree with you, Mark. Um, A lot of the struggle here is in providing a proper origin for this character while still moving her forward. And it's kind of caught in between these two worlds. That said, I've enjoyed the characterization and art a great deal. Cindy's a fun character with artwork equally as breezy as she is. That said, this comic features an inconsequential villain that pops up out of nowhere and seems to have no real connection to the rest of the story, and the character-based drama was a bit too coincidental for my liking. That said, I still recommend the series for those who want some lightweight spider fun. This just isn't as strong of an issue as the first one. Um, But I was still positive enough that I'm going to give it a fan club certified so that you and I kind of balance each other out because I don't think it's a bad book. It's just a mixed book.
0: All right, Dan. Let's move on to Spider Man 2099, number 10. You want to lead me in?
1: All right. Three, two, one.
0: All right. Um, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a review about Spider Man 29, number nine, and Peter David actually commented on my blog uh, and said that, you know, my criticism about uh, plot threads from the first four issues pre Verse being abandoned was a bit premature. So I'm starting to see in this issue how he might be going about carrying this all together. Um, still, I, 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 I'm hoping this book does return post-Secret Wars. It's, it's going to go on the shelf at least until then. Uh, I felt that Maestro was a very strong villain, very cunning, very diabolical. Uh, it seems 12 steps ahead of Miguel at all times. Uh, Miguel's in over his head, and but he doesn't realize it. Which for me is the best kind of drama you get in a superhero comic. So this is fan club certified.
1: Awesome. Give me the countdown, there, Mark. You
0: got it. Three, two, one.
1: All right. So Spider-Man 2099, number ten. Uh, you know this story has definitely gone in a direction that I never thought it would. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, I'm enjoying the series, even if it hasn't managed to get me to care about Miguel as much as a protagonist, as like even Silk or Spider-Woman have. Um, still, the ideas in this book are just crazy, and Maestro is an interesting villain. Um, I'm not in love with Will Sliney's artwork. It's a bit stiff to me, but I love how willing Peter David is to just get bonkers in this series and yet still keep things refined. There, there are rules here, and he sticks to them. I hope this story plays out in the pages of uh, Spider-Man 2099, um, and I'm worried that it won't. We've got all these great threads that we introduced that I'm just worried won't conclude uh, in the time that we get take to get to Secret Wars, but I'm hopeful. I'm giving this one a fan club certified.
0: That was the closest you've come to a minute, Dan.
1: Well, there you go. a lot to say about that issue. Next, next up is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales, or the other way around, number 11.
0: All right, Dan, count me in. Three, two, one. So this was definitely very harrowing. And the Hydra reveal and with, uh, with Katie Bishop's parents, I guess, was well done. But the problem is I don't really care about Miles and Katie as a couple. You know, this is a, a coupling that was kind of introduced more or less off-panel. Um, and so, so the ultimate betrayal of this book doesn't have the impact that I think it was designed to. Um, also, I, I feel like the story is like like a car skidding out of control into the finale. It's too high speed, which is actually really counterintuitive with how Bendis has a much more, you know, he calls it decompressed style. Uh, you know, maybe if his opening arc with the with the return of Peter Parker wasn't seemingly 900 issues long, uh, he could have had a finale uh, that would be better paced. Because it does seem like this book is going to be ending uh, next month. Uh, very premature. Uh, I don't know where this book lost its way, but unfortunately, it is puny Parker for me.
1: It's a bummer to hear, Mark. I'm sorry. Give me the countdown to see
0: how I. Oh feel yeah, about sorry, it. sorry, sorry, sorry. Three two, one.
1: Uh, it's a bummer that so much of this arc is built around Katie and her family as I just don't care about them like you, Mark. The drama here is incredibly solid. It, you know, like in a different time and a different, with a di- given a different buildup, I think I would have loved this, but I worry this is going to be yet another interesting story prematurely ended by editorial mandate and forced to be concluded in one issue. If I had to review this issue number 11 in a vacuum, I'd probably say it's a good story. But as a penultimate issue to the series, it gives me pause about the end of my favorite series of all time. I hate to say this because I think Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man has been great over its run. I mean, 200-plus issues of really good Spider-Man stories. But the mild stuff has been forced and overly sped up or overly elongated. I have to give this one as well a puny Parker.
0: Getting close to that minute. I know. Right. I'm,
1: I'm flirting with disaster here.
0: Next up is Spider-Gwen, Dan. Count me in.
1: All right. Three, two, one, drop.
0: All right. Spider-Gwen number three. You know, I heard a lot of complaints about the first two issues of the series. I felt that the pacing was off, that the characterization was weird. You know, where was the magic from the uh, the Edge of Spider-Verse issue? Well, whatever. To the critics out there, I say this is the comic where these things start to pull together. I think the the slowish pacing of the first two issues pays off. Um, I think actually my favorite character in this book, is Captain Stacy. I mean, as good as Gwen is, I I think that having him as part of this book, an authoritative parental figure in a Spider-Man book uh, with his kind of gravitas adds a really interesting dynamic. And then there are the analogs. I mean, Frank Castle, Punisher, his appearance here was just totally great. Um, I would love to get more uh, Matt Murdock as the kingpin in the future. Maybe a little less on guys like vulture. I, I wasn't totally blown away by that villain. But overall, this is a series that's totally going in the right direction, doing some interesting things. So it is fan club certified.
1: Oh, Mark, you're flirting with it too. All right. I mean,
0: all right. All right. We we Three,
1: playing with this line.
0: Okay. Three, two, one.
1: I thought that the introduction of this this issue was totally jarring. Like the last issue – you know, ended with a conversation about to be ha- uh, happening between Gwen and her father, and suddenly we're in a different location. But, you know, that kind of rocky start, um, I still think this d- book delivered in almost every way that I wanted. I still hope we get a more fleshed out conversation between Gwen and her father in the future. Um, but the moment that this book made the world right for me was Frank. Uh, His appearance as the Punisher Wearing the t-shirt with the skull logo To take down Spider-Woman I mean, awesome, awesome moment I like that this world feels Unpredictable in a way that alternate Universes should And I honestly have no idea what the characters Are going to be able to do next Given the crazy circumstances that they're in That feel, like, insurmountable Like, their identities are revealed Already, who knows what's going to happen Fan club certified 58.9 seconds, (laughs)
0: Dan. All right. Well, that concludes our first round of Flash reviews. Yeah, let us know
1: if you like us doing these quick little reviews.
0: I think that was fun. I think we should practice that for Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man.
1: Some of the issues in Amazing Spider-Man would almost... Warrant that, that yeah. level of criticism.
0: There you go. Um, so, Dan, why don't we take us home?
1: All right. All right. You can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcast at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And, of course, if you do... Please make sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll definitely read it on the air. The same goes for any opinions you have on the comics that we've talked about today. We'd love to know what you think about the essential books that we're talking about or any questions you might have about them or any secret tidbits you might know that maybe we didn't cover. You can email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com and we'll definitely bring them up and read them on the air.
0: Yeah, and uh, also be sure to check out our Facebook page at um, facebook.com slash SuperiorSpiderTalk and facebook.com slash ChasingAmazing. These are great places to keep up with us in between shows. Uh, ask us questions or whatever. Maybe we can answer in a minute or less, Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you could also get other breaking news about the Spider-Man universe.
1: I don't know if we could answer anything in a minute or less. That's, we're going to have to work on that.
0: This is great. I love it. This is, it's all about discipline, Dan. Yeah. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club that helps support our show. Also, very special thanks to the wonderful musicians who, who have contributed to our show, including our theme song, courtesy of Ryland Bojack, and our outro song, courtesy from Magic. Uh, stay tuned for a future announcement as to what essential book we'll be reading next. Dan... Twitter, Facebook, where can we find you?
1: Of course, you can f- follow me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavosin, or my Spider-Man account at SupSpiderTalk. And you can read all my Spider-Man writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, how about yourself?
0: Yes, www.ChasingAmazingBlog.com, ComicBook.com for a list of goals, and follow me on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog.
1: So, Mark, I, I I heard the other night you were walking around uh, your neighborhood in uh, in Brooklyn, and you saw some kind of like kerfuffle going on. Uh, uh, did, you know what happened?
0: You know, it yeah.
1: seemed like you wanted to tell me something.
0: Yeah, you know, I was I was walking through Atlantic Terminal, and you know, you know how I love Buffalo Wild Wings, Dan. I mean, love I didn't it. know that. No, I don't. But uh, <laughs> I don't either. But you know, uh, but right outside of Buffalo Wild Wings, this 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 poor elderly security guard was just you know, bunch of thugs and and riffraff was just you know, really tearing at him. That's and, terrible. You know, yeah, you know it's sad, but um, you know I I I went to I was going to walk away from it because you know I I, I had a date that night with with. Uh, some girl does your wife um, know about this <laughs> um, you're, you're ruining the illusion of the story her dad um, and, um, but then is I that stopped. what you tell your wife <laughs> it's all part of the story um, and then I, I looked at this man and it, he reminded me of someone he reminded me of my uncle Ben <gasps> the one that died no 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 that's 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 not my uncle Ben that's my cousin Ben oh uh, but but so you know, and then I was like, oh wait, no, that's not Uncle Ben. But but I I, I called the police and you know, the, the security guard's fine. Uh, but but all's you know, well
1: that ends well.
0: But it did remind me that with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk.